Okay, hello everybody. It's great to be back. And today we're going to continue our conversation on the life and the afterlife, the soul. Now, if you've been following up until this point, before we had the little break, we have looked at the soul purely from a Talmudic perspective. Now, what I want to do today is I want to go into a bit of a post-Talmudic perspective, bring some of what we'll call the secular ideas into it and see how they kind of fit into the Jewish perspective. So what perhaps we've already known fitting with what we may now know. Now, there is a fundamental disagreement between the founding fathers of Western philosophy, mostly Plato and his disciple Aristotle, regarding the nature of the soul. They both speak of the nature of the soul. Plato theorized that the soul has a separate and distinct existence from the body. He implied that the soul is an independent form that exists prior to the body and lives long after the physical form has decomposed. On the other hand, his student Aristotle said that the body and soul are united, and this is what he said, as matter and form. That's how much they are united. The soul is the form, and the body is the matter. And together, he says, as one unit, they comprise a complete human being. So two distinct ideas of the soul within Western philosophy. Now, this, this essential schism can be, de- can be detected throughout the entire body of philosophical literature. There are some who disagree with Aristotle. And there are those who adhere to Plato's position. And some disagree as well. And the dualists, such as um, uh, what was what was his name? Uh, Rene Descartes? Was that his name? Descartes. Descartes. Descartes, yeah. He said that I know that I have a mind, I know I have a body, and I know that the two are utterly distinct. Descartes envisioned a, a fundamental separation between the mind and the matter. He said between a thinking thing and an extended thing between mental substance and material substance. Now, forced to to find a point of interaction between the soul and body, or what he called the soul and body machine, he postulated that it's a pineal gland situated in the middle of the brain, actually located at the triangle point between the two eyes and the forehead. And that that brings these two aspects of the self into communion. People have called that the third eye in other teachings. And he believed that this quote-unquote third eye was the gateway or the interface between the physical body and the non-physical mind or soul. Which is also kind of fits in a little more with Plato's opinion, yet kind of as a fusion brings a little bit of Aristotle in it, which is interesting. Now, just to bring up a couple of others, um, Spinoza, believed 
that within the universe, he included mankind, there cannot be two principles, which means, according to Spinoza, mind and soul and body are in effect attributes of the very same substance. Cheryl, please. I don't know time periods of when people lived, but how far off is Aristotle and Plato from the Indian Hindu? I don't know if it's Muslim. I don't know enough, but a lot of meditation that I listen to talks about your um, your inner soul and your chi. Now that could be Chinese too, but your energy versus your body, all of that. So I was just curious as to time periods of periods of thought, because that's not new. Plato and, and Aristotle's theories were not new, right. not according to Kabbalah, right? Well, that's so what I'm about to get to. Exactly what okay. I'm about to get to. What I would say, and this is probably a little controversial, people will probably debate me on this, but I think that in the world in which we live today, it's a lot more fluid. There, though there, at that point, there were people who were very strong about their beliefs. Today, the way that things are taught, and this is why I wanted to bring some of this into our study here, is because things have become much more fluid. Right. Like you said, you know, if we're going to go back and and do, you know, a pure Kabbalistic teaching, well, a lot of this is there. But it's fascinating to me that even the more we'll call Western philosophers were very connected and interested in this kind of process. So today, here we are. Again, I consider us. I say politically correctly, we are. Um, vertically challenged on the shoulders of giants. And so we have the ability of living in 2022 or 57, you know, 60, uh, 82 going on to 83. And so that we can now look in retrospect. So a lot of people who are teaching today are teaching that kind of unified unified theory. And so you see a lot of the various teachings in both um, the Western philosophers and more of the traditional. And today, like you said, in Hinduism, though I'm not as familiar with Hinduism as I am, let's say, with Kabbalah, I believe that a lot of the teachers are going to be gleaning their inspiration from a lot of different sources, even though they may call it Hindu. Well, they call it the mind-body connection. That's right. We've all heard that in this time period. That's so right. we know that they're different enough, and yet they're integrated. That's right. Exactly. And so... I just wanted to know who came first, I guess. So I, <laughs> I guess it's a chicken egg thing. So look, there's, there's a part of me that's purist, and I want to teach the, the, the purism. And I, there's also part of me that's multidimensional, right? The idea of holding those two truths at the same time so I want to be able to look and contrast the multidimensional elements with the purest teaching and see kind of where it lands for all of us. Does that make sense? I hope you, I hope you appreciate this process. So there's a passage in the Zohar. Good morning, good morning. There's a passage in the Zohar that says that many of the Greek pre-Aristotle ideas are similar to that of the Torah. The Zohar actually um, quotes this. And so, therefore, I would say this is certainly true in the case of the soul, that for the most part, the soul, as it's interpreted in post-Talmudic sources, is like, let's say, Plato's definition of the soul. Although, I would say with some minor variances, maybe major variances, and we'll explain this soon. But it's important to point out this, that unlike Plato, who viewed the body as a prison cell for the soul, 
The Torah, mostly Kabbalah, views the body as a potentially holy vessel with which the soul joins at birth, giving us the opportunity to consciously and creatively direct the body with its animating presence. So we don't see, and it's very easy to see, that, oh, poor soul, you're prison to the body because you have to be in this world that is confined by time and space. You become prison to the body. No. The body is the vessel to help the soul and animate its experience in this world. You see the difference? It's not a prison. And by the way, even within Torah teachings, and we're going to get to this over the next number of weeks, even within Torah teachings, there's a great debate on this. Whether the soul wants to come into this world or it doesn't. There are some teachings that say the soul does not want to come. It's afraid to come into this world. And some say, no, the soul sees the potential that it can accomplish in this world, and it's excited for the challenge. And I think that both of those opinions are true because it's the duality of our lives. There's part of us that's scared about experiencing. Actually, you know, every single night we go to sleep. And the the Talmud says that when we go to sleep, it's like a 60th of death. And we wake up refreshed and renewed every morning. And for some of us, that that first moment of waking up, we see that duality. Do I want to wake up? Do I not want to wake up? Oh, the sleep is blissful. Of course it's blissful because we're a 60th in heaven. So there's a certain like, do I want to come back to this world? Do I not want to come back to this world? And you see that moment within that just opening our eyes, that tug of war that's happening. Unfortunately, for some of us, it lasts a little more than a moment and a couple snooze buttons. But we won't talk about that. Let's just say that it's a moment. And so I think that they're both correct. And there is that duality within us. The duality of I want to be in a blissful place, and the and I want I see the challenge of this world. And so looking at the body as the vessel of the soul is the first step of truly understanding the soul's interaction with this world. That the body is the vessel of the soul, and it animates the soul's experience for the duration of time that the soul is in this world. Please, please, Cheryl. If you go back to your very first session in January, for those of us that were here, excuse me, you gave the most beautiful analogy about the hands playing the piano. Mm. And yet the hands were basically nothing. And we were supposed to hear the music in our head, this struck such a deep chord with me because the way you shared it, it was the soul and your spirit actually playing. Your hands were just the vessel with which to get the music out. It was so beautiful, metaphorically. I'd have to go back and listen to that one again, but I remember it because it was the very first one. It's amazing that you remember that. And I think that music... For artists, artists understand this more than anything. Because if you ask an artist, why did you paint that? Or why did you play that? It was in me. It had to come out. And so artists see the vessel. They see the body as the vessel because there's something inside them. It has to be, it has to come out. They have no choice. And the, 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 the skill is the mechanism for the art. The art is really the soul. The skill, meaning the hands or the body that is used. Because I don't believe it's just the hands. It's the body that's animating that skill. But it's the soul. It's the part of their artistic expression that has to be revealed. That has to come out. I'm going to add one more thing to this kind of general idea of the soul. 
And there's a relatively widespread theory that there's actually no dependent or particular soul, that each soul is just part of a whole. And from this perspective, everything in the world is interdependent, and there's no such thing as an isolated core individual. The personal soul is simply an extension of everything else that makes up the all. And this is not consistent with the Torah's view, because the Torah's view is distinct individual soul type, with each person having a unique mission and purpose. And we'll explain that soon. But it's, I think, as part of giving this class a more holistic perspective, I wanted to just bring up that point, because it is a point that is rel- that, that is that is well, relatively widespread and something that is, that is believed by, by many peoples. Any well, other I, Yeah, I'm going to... Well, yeah. I'm sorry, Drew. I, I oh, just please. wonder with that idea of, of all souls connected, like I wonder if that's what gives us ability for, for empathy or to feel so much pain when, you know, there's a, around us, there's so much pain. Kind of makes sense in my experience but um you know we're still retaining you know we've got this individuality around our soul i don't know it just seems to fit it's not really a question and i'll I'll even take that a step further just the ability to have a relationship right you if if there was no way to have this kind of universal soul if the universal soul didn't exist then why would there be any desire for relationship desire for relationship is is really a soul connection. And it's interesting when someone is in a relationship and there isn't that more emotional or soulful connection, very often they feel like they're alone, even in a relationship. And people wonder, well, I'm in this marriage or I'm in this relationship and I'm alone. Why am I alone? I should be not alone. Well, because... There isn't that, that soulful connection. There isn't that, that emotional connection. There isn't, and that takes work. It doesn't happen by itself. I had a, this realization a few weeks ago, two weeks ago. We had a beautiful bar mitzvah in the shul for a special needs boy. He's, he was extremely autistic and was very, very special. What was amazing to me, there was many moments there, but one of the most amazing moments there is after he spoke, and he spoke only a few, a few lines, but it was very special. Each person who was present went around and stood up and made a lachayim and told him how he changed their life. It was an emotional serenation. And then when, when everyone was done, he turns to me and he says, no more? And I said, um, no, 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 there's one more. And I, you know, somebody else got up and said something else. But what I realized there, and bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah is great, a great example of this. So many parents physically serenade their kids. They make these beautiful events. These beautiful events. Full of these lavish, you know, everyone's got to outdo the other when it comes to the b'nai mitzvah. And there's like this feeling as a parent, oh, I got to make a big party for my kid. Otherwise, my kid is not going to feel special. This was no big party. It was a very simple party. But what this family did is did what every kid really needs. Is they created a soul connection. The, the bar mitzvah for him was about people connecting to his soul and telling him how amazing he is and how many kids live in this world without ever hearing how amazing they are. Any, any other questions while I read Julian's uh, comments? We'll be back after a quick break. Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? 
Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and empty takeout containers? <laughs> Hi, I'm Aliza Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix. And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker. Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits. So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love, then tune in to Matchmaker Matchmaker, and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts. I had heard long ago, you could tell me where this is, if it's in Kabbalah or Talmud, can't tell you that. But that God, because God wanted to see all of us in his image, imagine a broken glass. We are pieces of that glass. So God can view us as part of him. How can you see yourself, any of us, without looking in a mirror and contemplating whether it's the inside, the outside, but we need to see ourselves. And maybe it's a probably mind, see, I don't know, but it made sense to me. How could we be reflections of God unless he made us into little different pieces of himself? Yeah, that's very reminiscent of the idea that when God created the world, that there were particular sparks that shattered. And that part of our job is to refine the sparks. That's a Kabbalistic idea, actually. And so, yes, okay. the shattered glass is like the shattered, the shattered vessel that spread all over the world at creation. So it's not a puppy mice. It's uh, there's a, there's there's some uh, Kabbalistic proof for that. Thank you. So I, I'm just gonna <clears throat> today. Any other questions? Sorry, before I continue. And I read yours, Julianne, and it's a, it's a very good point. Thank you. No, nothing else? Okay. So there, um, there are three levels of the soul. And we're going to start this a bit today, but it's going to take us a number of weeks to finish this. I'm going to call them... Again, the, the English language is poor when it comes to translations, but I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to call them the natural soul, the living soul, and the rational soul. So the natural soul, the living soul, and the rational soul. They're not distinct souls. They're just levels of the soul. But they, they are important to create distinctions, and you'll find out why some today and some next week. So classical Jewish philosophy speaks of three aspects of the soul. The lowest aspect of the soul, or the lowest dimension of the soul, is called Nefesh Tivit. Oh, someone asked me, what are the Hebrew names? I'll tell you right now. Nefesh Tivit, which is the natural soul. It's also called Nefesh Somachat, which is the vegetative soul. It's the raw bioenergy that impels physical expansion and growth. This raw bioenergy that impels physical expansion and growth. This soul type is one that's found in all of animate reality, whether it's a blade of grass or a lion, a mighty beast. It's also known as the Nefesh Hazana. The hazana is like a, like a nutritive energy. It's assisting and it's securing sustenance for the life form. 
It's the energy that's responsible for the vital functions of the body, for the blood circulation, for the breathing, for the growing, for remaining healthy. It's this natural, this vegetative, this nutritive soul, this life force, this basic fundamental life force. The second level, I apologize for the background noise, if you can hear it. Maybe I'll just close the, the door here. Hopefully it won't be so loud. hope this helps you. So the second, which is this deeper soul, is called the nefesh chiyunit, the living soul. Sometimes it's called the nefesh bahamit, the animal soul. Or I also like to see it this way, the nefesh margeshet, which is the sensitive soul. It's this dynamic energy that does not just grow upwards while staying in one place like a plant. It also roams outwards, far and wide. This soul impels one to move about and distance themselves from the root of their origin. It's a soul energy that human beings actually share with the entire zoological kingdom. It represents the animal within. So it's, it's, a, it's a living soul. It's that breath of life. It's an animal soul because we share it with the animals. It may have within its instinct We'll, we'll talk about this a little later. It may have within it uh, um, uh, the desire to perpetuate the species, the desire to be selfish. Fight or flight is probably within that soul. It's that basic living soul, that breath of life. And the deepest and highest Cellular expression is referred to as the nefesh maskelet, the rational soul. What is that? It's the power of reasoning. The power of reasoning. This is the objective property within the self and the inner voice that seeks honesty and truth. It also craves for more than what is offered in one's immediate surroundings, and it seeks transcendence. Because this soul affords us the notion of genuine freedom, it's also this soul that allows a person to distance themselves from their own nature, from their own center of being, from their own selfishness. So as freedom, by definition, it works both ways. So we have three souls. Well, sorry, not three souls. We have three levels of the soul. We have the natural soul, the living soul, and the rational soul. Good so far? Any questions on it? I miss the names of the Hebrew names for the rational soul. You said Hanefesh. The rational Hashelet? soul is the Nefesh Maskelet. Yeah. Oh, Maskelet. M A. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the rational soul. And do we just transition from one to another as we need 
to live? Mm -hmm. We have the ability to tap into any of the three. You see, there are some people who just spend, who just spend their life on their natural soul and some who can step into the living soul and some that can step into the rational soul. There's a higher level than that, but we're just going to go for now. We're going to focus on this, but there, there are higher levels of this. They are not three separate souls. They are three levels of the same soul. And because of we are called midaber, we are the highest form of life because we can speak. Because we have the ability to speak and discern, actually we have the power of reasoning. The power of reasoning differentiates us from the animals. I've always said that I will believe in macroevolution when a monkey does a study on me. And so, um, I believe the guy came on the story for that. Okay. These are in the yeah. receipts. Thank you. I bought some of stuff yesterday. Okay. Just $80. Yeah. That's the invoice. That's okay. just to keep that. You yeah. gave me that. I okay. didn't put no time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. Okay. Sorry, Alessandra. I remember there were five levels of soul. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to get into that. But I, I but, wanted, because we have the ability to kind of really go into a deep dive here, I wanted to really go step by step by step and give you the clearest picture that I can. So you're going to see it's all going to come together at the end. But right now, I want you to kind of live. You're going to find out that this is just three of the five. But right now, let's just live. These are the souls that are most connected to the world that are the animating life force. And so the, the ability for us to have the power of reasoning puts us in a different level than every other animating life force. We love the vegetable, but it can't reason. And we love the monkey or the lion or the dog or the cat, though there's intelligence, and there is intelligence within the natural soul. And there's even intelligence within the living soul. But the rational soul, the power of reasoning, is a different level of intelligence. And we know that various animals have various forms of intelligence. Some of them are really amazing. But not you can't compare their, their intelligence to the intelligence of a human being. I mean, I believe that dolphins are, are very, very intelligent, very intelligent, but they're about as intelligent as a toddler. When they train the dolphins, they have to give them a candy. <laughs> they have to give them a treat. I don't foresee in the near future a dolphin getting a PhD. So I'm not putting down the intelligence of species. I'm just saying that it's a different level. Dogs are very smart. But like a toddler, smart. At best. Any other questions? I think what we're going to do, yeah? Sorry, I'm just going to ask you, is, is the rational soul like the godly soul? No, we're not, we haven't touched the godly soul yet. Okay. Okay. I'm mixing. Okay. Yeah. We're just touching the animating soul. But there are different levels of that animating soul. So I'm going to stop here today only because I want to allow this to sink in. I would love, before we go to our final uh, kind of takeaways today, if somebody wants to try to give us a summary or a partial summary in their own words, or just something that from this that kind of 
steps out at you that you didn't know before or that you clarified? Because I want to make sure that this part is clear because it's going to be hard for us to be able to continue our studies without making sure this part is clear. Anyone? Not all at once, please. I'll give it a shot if you okay, please want. So I, I actually, you know, I think I, I remember hearing about the living soul, the animal soul and the rational soul, but the, the nefesh tivit, tivit, the, the soul that is just basically gives us life. It doesn't feel like it's got, While we can support it and nourish that, it doesn't feel like it's it's got um, something that we can I, I, that I can grab onto as easily. So I think that was something I didn't know before. And while we've talked in other classes about the animal soul a lot, was really um, pleased to see it in a in a very kind of neutral light. Um, which I think you presented these all very, very neutrally. And and at times when I've heard of the animal soul, it's like, oh, that's the one we've got to control. That's the one that gets us in trouble. And that's and that that may be true, but there's more to it than that. Um, so I was I was really pleased to uh, get that aspect from from what you taught. Um, and and then the 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 last level the the Nefesh Maskelit, is that the mm -hmm. name of it? Um, it? It was just very clear how you put it, that it seeks honesty and truth. You know, we seek to connect to something bigger than our physical world. So that's what I heard today from, from this, and I really appreciate it. And as a gift, Joe, for your beautiful summary, I'm going to add another dimension to this for you. Cool. And everyone else can listen as well. <laughs> The three souls represent, let's say, the origin point. With the, the, the word is domim. Domim in Hebrew is inanimate. So that particular that first soul that you're talking about, that nefesh ativit, that natural soul, is the soul of an inanimate object. That's why you find it to be so pure and so source. The second soul. Is, this means the, the highest form. There's a, a rock has a soul. But the most soul that it could be is a nefesh tibit. Within that, there's also the, the tzomeach, the soul of the, of the vegetable or the soul of the blade of grass. The blade of grass has a soul. And then we go into the living soul which is the nefesh chiyunit, which is the soul of the animal. As great as the animal can be, it could only have the highest level it can get to in its life is a nefesh chiyunit. And the nefesh maskelet, the rational soul, is the highest form the human being can get. By the way, I'm not saying that you have to agree with this, but the Kabbalistic reason why we're allowed to eat meat, because it should not be, we should not be allowed to kill an animal for the purpose of eating. But the reason why we can is because we have a nefesh hamaskelet and a nefesh alukit as well, which we'll talk about later. And we're able to elevate that animal to the highest level, a higher level than it can animate itself. So therefore, because we're able to spiritually uplift that animal to a higher level than itself, we're able to eat it. And the same thing with the vegetable. Why shouldn't the vegetable die of old age? because the animal is able to elevate it to a higher level than it can elevate itself. And for sure, the human being can elevate it to a higher level than it can elevate itself. So because of the ability to elevate spiritually allows us to be able to use other life forms in this world for our benefit. Do you see how that process works? I just gave you a, a Coles Notes or Cliff Notes version of it. 
There's a lot more to it, but I just giving you a little bit of a teaser almost. Are you basically saying that if we kill an animal by kashu laws, that's elevating the animal so that we can eat it? I would take a, take a step Order. further. I would take a step further because the kashu law had nothing to do with you. The only right that you have to eat an animal is because you are going to use its energy for making the world a better place. The energy you get from that meat, from that protein, you're going to use to make the world a better place. You can elevate the animal. Now, if you don't elevate the animal, then you have no right to kill it. Again, in Kabbalah, we want to put the onus on us as the individual. So yes, obviously there's a humane way to do it, which is kosher. And contrary to some of the debates that have been, there, and, and kosher, we believe, is the most humane way to kill an animal. But that doesn't stop the fact that when you eat the animal, you have to be able to elevate it. Actually, there were for many generations, and partially it was because of finances, and partially it wasn't only because of finances, but for many generations, Jews would only eat meat on Shabbat and on the holidays. And the reason why is because on Shabbat and on the festivals, we're given an extra soul, an extra energy. And so naturally, without doing anything, we can elevate that meat. And so some people didn't believe that during the week on a regular Thursday morning or Thursday evening that they could elevate that meat. So they, wouldn't only, they would only save it. Obviously, it was also about making the holiday special or making the Shabbat special with a brisket or something like that. It could have been particular times because of finances, okay? But there was also a spiritual part of it, and that was elevating it, and that we needed to make sure that if we did consume it, that we should be sensitive to being able to elevate it. Otherwise, we had no right to kill it. So that was a common belief. Well, it still is a common belief. Okay, let's go to our takeaways. We'll start with you, Alessandra, and then we'll go around. Well, me, what I'm reflecting about since earlier is that I have a lot of arguments with my animal soul. <laughs> And, uh, and um, they're good. I mean, they make me progress. So I'm thinking that uh, while I'm far from reaching the execution of the third level, at least I'm starting with uh, trying to, to better myself in a way, especially when I react to external factors. You know, because we all have a greatest, the, the greatest wisdom. We're always right, right? So the difficulty is to say, hold on. There's two, three, four sides to every story. So that, that's when I, uh, I lower my ego. That's what I've been reflecting about since the beginning of the class. I heard the whole three levels and everything. Don't misunderstand me, but I've been uh, thinking. So that, that's my takeaway. Uh, to keep doing that, I'm, I'm, you know, don't want to say do better, but at least to keep doing it. So shall I pass it on? Please, please pass it on. Fami? Hey, thank you. Um, uh, me, what I, uh, so what my takeaway is like uh, something, uh, the fact that everything have a potential have a soul or so what we can do on this earth is to try to hit what the best or the maximum of our potential to maximize so if a soul have let's say three level or so or, or we have like a, and you know but you said like uh, so every species everything can attain only 
a certain level. So me, I see it as like uh, our time on this earth is like we have to to be the best version of ourselves. So we make to uplift the world. We have to attain. I mean, to fulfill our mission. So and that's mean like to attain the optimal configuration that we that, that, that we can be. That's how I see it. And the second thing is, uh, uh, I want to ask you, so Yarbay, so can a soul have a sex different than the body? Than, than because I hear people saying, oh yeah, I, I, I mean, this is new to me. People like, they say, okay, you know what? I'm a woman, but I feel like a man. Or I'm a, I'm a man, but I feel like a woman. Is it possible that the sex like of the body is different than 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 the sex of the soul? Does the soul have have a sex? It's a good question. I'll just give you a little bit of a teaser. I'm not going to give you the actual answer because we're going to get to this. But in Kabbalah, we don't believe in male and female. We just believe in male and female energy. And every single man is made up of both male and female energy, and every single woman is made up of male and female energy. That's part of the way that we can have a relationship is because we have both energies within us. And so sometimes there's an imbalance or not an imbalance, not in a negative way. There's a different balance of male and female energy within a person. So that's why they feel one, more one way or more the other way. That was just a little teaser for you. But, 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 but we have different, if, I mean, female or female, we have in our body, we have different characteristics, right? So how we how, how do we account for that? So maybe can can like a male energy be born in a female body or something or, some, or something else? There, there's a lot to it, but that, again, I'm giving you a little teaser. I'm not I'm not I can't answer the question in 30 seconds or less. Okay. So, and last thing, yeah. thereby, the Zabayon is is crazy good. So try. <laughs> you want to uh, you want to pass it on? Uh, so, Bobby, are you going to the dinner? Uh, I'm far. I'm six hours or seven. Like I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm in Toronto. Huh? Okay. I thought you were in Montreal. I moved. Good for you. Okay. Where are you? Where are you, family? Uh, Toronto. So, so we'll so we'll send you. We'll send you Zabayon in uh, in. Pinky. Oh my god! Oh my god! I mean, or, I, next time, or next time you visit Montreal, you let us know, and we make you Zabayon. It's better than the one from Salem, by the way. So, so, so my first experience with Zabayon was in Paris. It was a, it was a, no, it was in a kosher restaurant in Tunisia. It was pff, blows my mind. So. <laughs> Uh, so next, uh, um, so my heart is, okay, is it Jill? My, okay, Cheryl. Yeah. I am so lost today. We, you are Thank all you. my friends, you know, I love you all. So, so which one I will pick? I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. I'm awake only sort of. And I've been listening to this, and even though we started on the late side, there's a lot to take in here. Some of it I feel is review when you talked about Nefesh being the goof and the animal soul. And we went through that whole part in the very beginning of this class. And now we're reviewing it, I think, more in detail. You could correct me I'm wrong, or is this all different material? That's why I'm so lost. But my little nugget was taking in the Plato-Aristotle thing because I didn't really know anything about that. And combining that with Kabbalah, that was real interesting. Like who came first? Again, I don't know time frame, but it was still interesting. So I don't have any good nuggets to add. I wrote a whole bunch of stuff down, but I'm waiting for the more in-depth. Okay, so I'm going to pass it Carol, on just to, to answer you, just to answer you quickly yes. before you move on. So yes, it's look at it like a rung on the ladder. So sometimes we have to go circular to get back. We're going up a rung. So yes, we're reviewing a little bit, but we're also going a little deeper. And this is how it's going to happen. We're kind of 
Look at okay. it. You can look at it as a rung or like that that circular motion going upwards. And uh, I'm happy okay. that a rabbi can teach you Western philosophy. <laughs> Thank you. I love this group. I love you all. I hope you have a wonderful day and week. And can't wait to see you next week. And Alana, I'd love to hear what you have to say. Okay. Um, I, I guess for me, I, I just keep always going back to purpose. Like, what's our purpose? So somehow, like, that third level kind of speaks to me about what's our purpose in life? What are we here for? Um, the rational soul. I mean, and, you know, whether we, you know, seeking honesty and truth and seeking to do better, which I think is what Jill was also talking about. So it's, it's really tied in together. And I never thought about a carrot as having a soul. So that's a new idea for me. And also, if we're going to be reasonable and rational and caring, you know, I'm not that happy with the killing of the animals if we can eat well without that piece. Um, anyway, I had a hard time with that last little bit, Rabbi. So um, somehow elevating an animal in order to eat it, you know, is not... Uh, is not is not my way of thinking. I think you know we can elevate the lentil. It's good. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So Jill, back to you. Thank you. Elevate the lentil. I like that. <laughs> um, so I was taking what you said earlier about we. I think you said we all can have a soul connection. And it can be really difficult in relationships where you don't quite feel it, but it can be learned and it can take work. So I, uh, that's kind of stuck with me. I'd love to explore that more at some point and figure out how to do that. Alessandra. Oh, no. Did you go already? Oh, oh, yes. already? Is there anyone? Oh, okay. I guess I wanted to hear from you again. Hava. Here we go. Oh, yeah, she Hava hasn't spoken today. Hi, good morning, everybody. I really appreciate uh, the way that you brought in, you know, the, some of the ideas around Western mysticism and how they fit in in certain ways, I guess, basic principles with Kabbalistic thought. And that really helped me a lot. Um, and I love the how you touched on this thought of collective consciousness, how, how all of our souls are, there's a common thread there. And, and it um, opened up a thought to me about, you know, if we are elevating, if we are here to be the best versions of ourselves that we can, and, and our job is to elevate, then you know, if, if we consider the collective consciousness, that means we can't leave anybody behind, right? So um, it becomes much more community, uh, it becomes global. And I, and I love that idea. So thank you. Great, great class today, Rabbi. Thank you. Is there, did I forget anybody? I have a question. Please. Hey, I'm bouncing back on what you just said, Chava. We can't leave anybody behind, but to what expense, to what cost, to our own soul? Because we can carry people. We carry people all the time. But when, when do we say, sorry, I can't carry you anymore? When is it legitimate to say, I can't carry you anymore? I wonder if maybe we could shift that thought because I, this is a personal belief that 
you know, it, it's my responsibility to be the best version of myself that I can. I can't put that on anybody else. And so maybe we can do the best we can to elevate those around us. But in the end, really, it does come down to that person and their choices. How, how, how does that fit, Rabbi? Did that make sense? That thought? I think yes and no. I mean, I know it's a very, very deep question for a lot of people. I think that we can't control the choices of others. We can only control our own choices. And I know that I say this a lot, but that's the reality, which means that we continue to take the high road and sometimes to our detriment, but we can't control what, how someone's going to respond to that high road. And so sometimes chesed is just as important as gevura. And gevura which I'm going to translate right now as boundaries are just as important as loving kindness, as chesed. And so tiferet, which is the fusion of both the loving kindness and the boundaries, is the ability to see both, to see both truths and to integrate them. To see that the person needs money, but they also may use it for drugs. So give them a sandwich. If they need to eat, but you're worried about them using your money for drugs, then give them a sandwich. So there's a way to be able to have loving kindness with boundaries. And that's a really, really difficult balance. It's not a simple balance. And in every situation, we have to try to find that balance. Loving kindness with boundaries. Especially if the person to whom we're giving doesn't have their own boundaries. It's not our responsibility to create boundaries for them. We're creating the boundaries for ourselves. Well, I, I, I read a good joke this morning. Apparently, it's a, it's a Jewish proverb, since you mentioned money, Rabbi. It said, if it's a money problem, it's just an expense. <laughs> it's not a I don't know. I never heard that Jewish proverb, but it sounds good. Sounds Let's, good, right? Money yes. problem, it's an expense. Move on. <laughs> Move along. <laughs> my, my favorite real, realization of quotes is the one that says, not everything you read on the internet is true, signed Abraham Lincoln. Exactly. <laughs> so let's appropriate ourselves to proverb. It's yeah. the money problem, it's just an expense. Move on. <laughs> right. I'm going to answer uh, Julianne's two questions. Did the Kabbalah get Hellenized when we got Hellenized in the time of the Maccabees? Um, there were elements that got Hellenized, but the Kabbalah in its form uh, predates the Maccabees, like the Zohar itself wasn't changed through the times of the Maccabees, but there was uh, an adaption, and this is not the only, that wasn't only through Hellenization, it was through other time periods where there was a certain secular thinking amongst the Jewish community, but there was a certain, but yeah, it didn't get Hellenized, but there is perhaps um, not the teaching that I'm teaching, but there are other teachings that perhaps are more uh, Western in their thinking or more Greek in their thinking. The second question is, is the universal soul the same thing as Adam's soul or the same thing as Adam Kadmon? We haven't gotten there yet. Good, good question about Adam Kadmon, which I gather is the original template for the human soul created before the rest of creation, before the creation of the four Kabbalistic worlds. Yeah, it's interesting that you're using Adam Kadmon. Um, to a certain sense, yes, but Adam Kadmon is predates what we're talking about. And, but it's an interesting point that I did not bring out that, that kind of predated elements. You know what? I'm going to bring it out in the next intonation, the next rung. I think I'll bring out the Adam Kadmon. So, yes, that's a great, great question. Thank you, Julianne. Okay. This has been wonderful. Thank you all. Next week, same channel, same time. 
not not unconscious, Julian, but higher conscious, I would say. Do you have any pictures of your baby you could share? Uh, pictures of the baby. You know what? <laughs> God be willing. Uh, he's not awake right now, but God be willing next week. He'll be awake and I'll introduce him to everybody. Don't wake him. Very, very sound asleep. All the noise behind him. This this kid knows how to sleep. Don't say it. Beautiful. Don't say it. Okay, I won't say it. There are things you don't say when we're young parents. That's right. Show, Show, don't tell. I got it. You know? I got it. Have a good day, everyone. Thank Thank you. you. Have a good day. Have a great day. Whoever's staying for Tomwood, Tomwood's starting in a few minutes. Well, now. Bye. Bye, everyone. Have a great you Sunday. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness, and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode.